Episode 378 after the whistle presented by Seneca Buffalo Creek Casino. Nothing else comes close. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Roisy. How are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you guys? Well, we have a message for you from your old liney. Ooh. Uh-oh. Thomas Vanek. Okay. You guys were line mates, right? Like for a while, weren't you? Man, we were line mates from Rochester during the lockout because that's when he first played all the way through my whole Sabres career. So we had a lot of discussions oh, okay. <laughs> about who's more responsible for who, for who. Uh, I think we're, I think it, it, it was a good, it was a great combination. I, I thought, you know, like he, he got to the places where, where you needed to get to score goals where you didn't um, want to go. Yeah, exactly. And uh, whenever I fed him the puck, he usually scored. Like his high, his high, his percentage in the scoring areas and the high scoring areas were very high, and he would just tip tip shots from the point and score these these weird goals. So a lot of times I'd get <clears throat> these assists where I just pass it to him on the wing and he'd go one on one and beat the guy and score a goal. So um, you know he was definitely important for my career, and I, I thought the, the same for him. How many goals do you think Vanner scored within five feet? Okay, think about a five foot radius around the goal crease. How many goals out of all of the goals that he scored? I don't know what he had in his career. He played well, what eight hundred and fifty games, somewhere yeah, around there. Somewhere. Uh, well, let's just go percentage wise. Like, what do you think? Like over fifty percent of his goals were scored within the five foot area. Probably, I'd Probably say seven. I'd six sixty. Say yeah, I would say about that. Yeah, sixty seventy percent of goals. Like he was. I, I think that we could all agree we all had uh, had the uh, the opportunity to play with him and watch them, you know, every night do what he did in front of that net. He knew that he was one of the best. He was one of the best tippers of the puck I've ever seen in my life. He he kind of um, is on the same platform. Do you remember the guy from Detroit? What is it? Thomas Holmstrom? Holmstrom, yep. Yeah, so you had all those star-studded, talented guys, and he stood in front of the net and took an absolute beating. Um, and Vanner was like that, but which with a lot more skill. His ability to tip pucks was just in- incredible. He used and to use he an of his stick. He, used to, he, used to, he was the only guy I ever saw slide the, the other side of his shaft down his, to try to tip it with the knob of his stick on the other side of his body. Right. So he would Nobody... take his bottom hand near his blade and slide his knob down to try to catch the puck to the left side of his body if he couldn't get his stick over there on time. It was I remember seeing him practice that once in practice. I was like, What did you just do? He's like, Oh yeah. By the way, he played over he played a thousand twenty nine. Sorry about that, Vanner. Three hundred and seventy three goals. I bet you two fifty of those were within five feet of the net. And I guarantee because, you know, I guarantee you, I know he's listening right now, right? Like right this second, he's listening. And I bet she's very uncomfortable with how with, with the fact that we're talking about him with such high praise. But that's not the point. This wasn't the conversation wasn't about Vanek. It was his advice to you on the pod. He said, lighten the fuck up. Oh, to me, not not <laughs> advice about on, on the ice, which he yeah, normally right. usually gives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had I most he was of my like, career, you gotta tell my... Roisey that this isn't an interview. He's not being interviewed. He's with the boys. 
but most of my career had Max again off on the one side and I got Thomas Vanek on the other side. I got an Austrian on one side and a Russian on the other. And I had to, I had to kind of get, get us together as a, as a group. And Max would be yelling at me about Van and Van would be yelling at me about Max. And I'm like, Oh my God. That, yeah, that's you couldn't the, understand that's... Max in any language. Yeah. And you couldn't understand Van in any of his languages. Yeah. That's what you do when you're a centerman. You gotta, you know, distribute both ways. Hey, pass me the puck. I'm open. It's like, all right, Max, next time I got you. And then Van be like, hey, Rosie, like passing puck, man. And you're like, holy guys. Like, that's the thing. Guys yeah. like that, they want the puck, right? Yeah. And, and sometimes I think that's the hardest to play with because you don't have like, even on a super highly skilled line, you have guys that understand a little bit of their roles, I think, to be really successful. One guy might be a little bit more of a disher. One guy might be a little bit more of a trigger guy. Um, there's probably two out of the three guys that are definitely want to be battling in the corner, digging out pucks. Um, so you have to have that chemistry, right? And, and it's not, it's, I think it's always a good thing when you have guys that are like, give me the puck, give me the puck, Roisy. I want it. That's what you want to play with. Right. For sure. And I think as a centerman, you got to be even keel. You can't go, uh, you you got to be, uh, the, the rock of that whole relationship as a line. Cause, cause you're going to go ups and downs and scoring chances. And you're going to get these highs where you're going to score every game for a little bit of stretch. And then you're going to go on these two game, three game skids. And then that's when you got to like pull it together as a line and, uh, and just talk to each other. And, and I thought we were really good friends. So I think that that definitely helped, uh, being friends off the ice. Then it, it makes you want to battle for the guy more on the ice. Before we get into Colorado not needing a goalie for the first 18 minutes of the first period last night, was Max hard to play with? Max was really hard to play with. It's <laughs> it's no, not. Be, be honest. Be honest, Roisy. <laughs> first of all, he was hard to catch. So whenever, whenever he, he takes off up the ice, you're like, oh man, I got to get going. I got to get my feet going. And also he's all over the place and he wants to play his own style. He doesn't really care about the system sometimes. So he's like, Rosie, when you get the puck at the red line, look for me. I'll be circling back in our own zone and just drop it back to me. So that's when we first started the drop passes. I never even heard of it until Maxi was, was like, Rosie, you go and second wave. You throw the puck back to me and I'll come in the second wave. And then I'm like, in my head, Lindy's going to snap if ever I turn this thing over, right? So I think um, he was definitely hard to play with. Uh, he was all over the place and he had uh, so much energy. But the fact that he would bring it every game elevated think, my game as a forward. Do you also think that that was part of the reason why Lindy Ruff and Max Afinaganoff had this, you know, love-hate relationship like Max clearly it much a it was pretty much a hate hate relationship ah man i think max is a pretty likable he was very stubborn he was very dynamic um and it, you know lindy didn't didn't hate um he just didn't he didn't like how he played the game and at at some point if you're not going to play the way the coach wants you to play even though you have all this skill and you're dynamic what happens Eventually, Max, over the course of his time, clearly showed Lindy that he was not going to listen to what he had to say. Therefore, Lindy had to make a decision to say, listen, this is my team. This is how I want to play. If you're not going to play it, you're not going to play, right? 
Yeah, I think uh, I think he respected the fact that Max works so hard every game. Like he, we couldn't, we can't sit here and say that he didn't work hard. Um, you know how a lot of, like Russian players or some guys are just, you know, a uh, little bit lazy away from the puck and, and whatnot. I thought Max worked tremendously hard every every area at the rink, and if, even practice, he would battle in practice. You know, he he was he was a great guy to. To, to be on your line and to look up to. So I think Lindy respected that fact, but to your point, when he says that, um, you know, dump the puck in and Max decides to turn back with the puck himself and try to stick handle through five guys, you know, that's, you know, that's when it gets a little bit sticky between the coach and the player. You know, when you're out in the ice and you take a big check and the next day you feel all sore and you don't feel well, but when you're injured in a car crash, don't let the insurance company skate off without paying what you deserve. Call Salino at 800-555-5555. Looking for something to do New Year's Eve? Seneca Resort and Casinos is the place for an unforgettable New Year's Eve experience. Partying on the casino floors and enjoying incredible food and drink specials, hot slots and table games, DJs, live music, and an epic final countdown to midnight. Dining specials at all restaurants at all properties. For more details, go to SenecaCasinos.com. We'll see you New Year's Eve. So let's talk a little bit of Sabres here. I'm not going to uh, come on here today and talk about how shitty the team played and, you know, dump on the guys. I think they've been playing well. I'm going to chalk this one up to a hungry Colorado team who wanted to kick their ass after the last time they played them. Um, the altitude, Roisy, you can talk about that if you want, uh, if that actually does have a bearing on on showing up in Colorado and playing. No shots in the first 18 minutes. And then this from Henrik Lundqvist uh, at the first intermission, which if you're a regular listener of the show, this might sound familiar. Here's what he had to say but they're playing like they're in a rebuild because they're allowing these types of mistakes in their own end too often. They have a pretty good team, but they're beating themselves with how they choose to, you know, pass the puck, take chances. And and for them to take the next step and make the playoffs, they need to start playing winning hockey and have accountability in every play. That's what you see from great teams around the league. Accountability, biggest thing. Thoughts on that, gentlemen? Go uh, ahead, Roisy. You're the yeah. guest. I've been saying this. For, I, I I'm like a broken record, but this it's eight, nice this to is hear. Eight years straight for Craig. I mean, I was watching. I was watching a highlight uh, about. Um, it was just a, a dump in. The goalie had the puck, and three of the the Sabres players go basically below the goal line, and then they just make one pass up to the wall, and the D pinches, and Johansson gets a two on one and hits the post. Um, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I mean. All it is 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 preparation, right? Like to be outshot, whatever twelve nothing or fourteen nothing or whatever it was with when Benson finally scored, is preparation. You got to you got to prepare yourself. I don't care about the altitude or, or wherever you're playing. Like you have to prepare yourself to go in these elements. Let's say let's say you're in the playoffs and you're playing Colorado. Are you going to be prepared? Yeah, you're going to go out there and be really prepared right off the drop of the puck. You're not going to wait till. You know, they, they get 18 scoring. How many scoring? They, it should have been 5 nothing after the first period. Um, he made some great saves. They hit maybe three posts. So, like, you're obviously outplayed, but you got to find a way on the road to play smart. You can't get beat three guys down low, 
on one pass coming from the goal line and then a deep make a, a stupid pinch and then they make they have a two or three on one and hit the post like you can't do that and it seems to me like um a lot of games uh, i've watched they're just not prepared off the drop of the first drop of the puck and especially when you're going on the road like i said you got to play it simple you got to play it smart and then work your way into the game and then take over and take the crowd out of the game that has been the ongoing concern with this team next to the power play the ongoing concern with this team, and it's been asked by the media members, and Don Granado has had to answer to it for a vast majority of these games, whether they win or they lose. And that is, how come your team has isn't ready to play? That's all mental, man. That's like getting yourself, first of all, you're obviously getting yourself physically ready, right? You're doing your warm-ups, you're, you're getting yourself, uh, you know, get the blood flowing in your body, you're putting you know, liquids in your body, you're getting ready, you're physically getting ready. And then the second part is the mental part, which is probably the most important part is once that puck drops, am I ready to go? Or am I going to wait to see what's going to happen in the game? Oh, maybe we're down. Okay. Now I got to pick up my game because we're down by two goals. You know what I mean? Or is it, you just go off the drop of the puck and say, we're going to take this game over right from the start. And I don't know if that's a coaching thing. Obviously you've been in dress rooms where you're, you play 82 games. You're not jacked up for every single game, right? And sometimes a coach comes in and fires you up with a big speech. And you're like, oh, yeah, let's go, fellas. You're looking around the room. Everyone's got their fire in their eyes. You're like, all right, let's go. Like, you're not going to get that jump for 80, 82 games a season, right? So sometimes the coach motivation is, is nice to have. So I don't know if they're getting that or uh, I have no idea what's going on in that locker room before the game. You're looking at me here, Petey, for for uh, an answer or I'm not a... saying I'm not. Yes, I want you to speak because I've been dying to hear what you have to say about this. What am I? What am I going to say? Well, they, listen to me. Listen to me. They, they, were, they did they not record they, a, they shot. a shot. Hold on. First... Hold on. They didn't record a shot until one minute and 24 seconds in the first period. They did not record a shot. This is an NHL hockey team with loaded with talent that we're talking about. And then they did not record a shot on net until one twenty-four when the 18 year old kid scored a goal. I think that was the second, his goal was the second shot. So he had a rebound. It was yeah, Darlene. Darlene, Darlene, Darlene got a, got a shot on net. Nice pad save rebound in the net for Benson. I'm not, listen, I'm not saying anything. Cause I thought I, I I thought it was absolutely a horrendous, horrendous first period. Then all of a sudden you get a team that gets 30 shots in the next two periods and they outshoot them both periods. I think they tied nine, nine in the third period shots, but they outshot them in the second completely different team. Well, yeah, because the other team, the other team knows that they have a win under the belt. They're already ahead of you. They're already, you got to start taking chances. You know how those games go when you're up. I, a couple that's what I said the last and, couple of weeks, Roisey. Yeah, I said, said that, that the last couple of weeks. I've said that the teams now are, are the, the NHL schedule is so long and so demanding on a, on a body that only, only us right now li, talking about this can understand it. When you start your season, you are a genetic freak. You're Banner, strong, Banner's you're powerful, so you know, you're, you're in great shape. And by the time you're done your 82 game season, and then you move into playoffs, you're on fumes, your body's hurt. You have multiple injuries. Um, 
A lot of times you're, you're doing small surgeries after the season to clean things up that you've injured throughout the year. Also, what about practice? Start of the season, you're practicing hard. You're battling. You're getting in there. You're working on stuff you need to, to, to get better as a team. Later on the season, you're just doing flow drills. You're basically allowing your body to heal so you can get ready for the next game. You're not, you're not battling anymore towards the end of the season in practice. You're saving that for the playoffs and you're saving that for um, later half of the season where those games are basically like playoff. Like the last 10 games of the season are playoff games. In this league, it's about small details. Like you can look at the first goal and you know where the goal was scored. The goal was scored directly right in front of the net, probably about five to seven feet out. Okay. But it's like, how did the puck get to that point? Go back and watch Jeff Skinner. Go back and see if he was in the shooting lane when the defenseman shot the puck to get it to the front of the net. These are small details that you have to go back. It's not about the direct shot that scored the goal, which is the problem. A lot of the time, it's the details that happen before it gets to that point. Go look yeah, at the first goal and, and watch where Jeff Skinner is in the shooting lane. He is not in the shooting lane. Therefore, the defenseman gets a clear-cut shot on net. And a goal scored two seconds later. You look at the next goal, uh, you know, with the, the second goal with um, uh, Rantanen, I think, scored it, where McKinnon came down. It was a two-on-two. It's a very simple play that the, that the Sabres do in practice all the time, two-on-two, um, continuous rushes. They do it all the time in practice. Yeah. McKinnon comes down the ice. He cuts to the middle. And Clifton overplays McKinnon. He drops the puck. He gets picked. The play goes around, and he does a wraparound. That, that was bullshit, too, by the way. I just want to say, can McKinnon do that? Now, granted, it didn't look good. That I think that I think Clifton was like holding on to McKinnon's stick. I think he, I think like he, he tripped. Was... The, I think he tripped a little bit. But okay. the point is, it's a two-on-two. So in that situation, even if McKinnon um, changes direction, if he goes from the left side and cuts to the middle of the ice, which he then drops the puck, Clifton has to hold his position. No, you do not. Your you're not playing man-on-man. This is not a man-on-man situation. It is a two-on-two. You stay in your lane, and eventually the drop pass that went to McKinnon, Clifton's going to be standing right there. So it's a poorly defended play, which results in a goal against. Now you have the third goal. You have the third goal, which basically puts a nail in the coffin, and we're not even frigging 15 minutes into the game. You have Eric Johnson moving up the ice, which I don't have a problem with the defense moving, moving up the ice, but when you give away the puck in the offensive zone and they go down on a two-on-one and just snipe a goal, we're talking, who is it, Woods? Woods is like their third or fourth line left winger and just missled one from about 15 feet out. On a two-on-one, the question is, why is it a two-on-one? How many how many two-on-ones did the Sabres have in the first period? They had none because they play team defense. They wait and they break you down. They wait for opportunities. That's what well, they did. Listen, I'm I'm just going to say this, and I would have fired Don Granato after the first, and I would have tried to have Berube on the bench for the second. You know, listen, Don Granato said a couple weeks ago, we have accountable people here. We have accountable people here. Then you have Henrik Lundqvist. 
going on national television saying it starts with accountability. It's a mindset. You choose how you want to play. These are all things he said last night. And I'm sitting there just like, like throw the towel already. Fuck. Thinking to myself, it's, it's, it's a goddamn embarrassment. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to say, well, the general manager didn't go out and get the right kind of players. No, I think you're wrong. Because it's a mindset. And Henrik, Henrik Lundqvist said last night, it's a mindset thing. So these players choose how they want to play. Now, Paterka's plays that they highlighted on the broadcast last night in the zone when he made the three plays where he couldn't get the puck out. What? Where's the? Is that not coaching? Is that not coaching? Because I knew, I knew that at 17. Now, is that guy back on the ice the next, the very next shift? Yes. Roisy, have you ever been benched for anything? Yeah. I've ultimately been benched almost in every single year of my entire life. I had tough coaches when I was playing in North Bay, Ontario. I can still name the coaches. I had three of them all the way through my AAA. If you don't play well, you sit. That's what you learn when you're younger. Benching a player, it does work. It, it gets you motivated. It gets you jacked up for your next play. But also, there's a there's a point where you can't bench them too much for making plays. I mean, well, if you're our, benching them too much, do you grab the wrong player? Yeah, exactly. If you but, have to bench him, let me too finish much. my sentence before you jump in. Is right, sorry. It, oh if shit! If you're if you're in the offensive zone trying to make plays, and I get it. If you're an offensive player, that's what you want. You can't bench a guy every single time he turns a puck over trying to make a sauce pass. Uh, around the blue line or on the power play, right? But I watched that Paterica play. He he should have he should have held on to the puck, made a few plays, um, but he was just throwing it away. Um, and that's where everyone else has to everyone else has to help him get the puck out of the zone. Correct, Rev? When you get the puck, yep. you're hoping your centerman's like, hey, give me the puck. And your wingers, hey, give me the puck. Your D-man's they also, like, they all have to be in the right positions, right? You got to be in the right position. You got to work to get the puck out. And I felt like when he got the puck, he didn't move his feet and nobody else was moving their feet. So he tried to throw it off the glass and the guy kept it in. Then he got the puck again and tried to make another play. Nobody was around. And th- I think that's where everyone has to be accountable. Hey, man, when I get the puck or somebody gets the puck, somebody else has to get open. Or if I had torn the puck over, we got to make sure that we freaking dive our heads first to try to block a shot going to the net because I don't want to let my player down. You know, it, if I'm turning the puck over, I expect you, Riv, to be in front of the guy being like, oh, shit, Roy's turned the puck over. Okay, let's not let him score because he's going to look like a freaking idiot when he goes to the bench, right? That's where you're, you're all there as a team for each other. It's going to happen. You're going to turn the puck over. You know, mistakes happen every game, and usually it ends up, like you said before, two mistakes or three mistakes end up in a goal. One mistake usually doesn't end up in goal, but when there's like two or three compounding mistakes, that's when the puck ends up in the back of your net. Well, the Eric Johnson goal was pretty much one mistake and, you know, just a goalie didn't make the save, and I don't want to put that on the goalie. But And I'm not I'm not pinning that Man, on it's Johnson. It's a two-on-one. It's a yeah. two-on-one. I uh, You always want your defenseman to join the rush, to add offense. We've got some guys that love to get up in the play. I'm surprised that there's others that seem to be it seems it seems like Don Granado has given all the defense the ability to go. Like I don't care who you are. I got Samuelson that sometimes I I think he's Owen Power or Darlene. Like he's like literally in the offensive zone cycling with the forwards in the corner. 
You got Connor Clifton, who's done a nice job in the last few games, joining rushes that is that has helped the offense. Uh, but do we uh, need all those guys doing that? Like, yeah, I mean, what is your job description? I think defend first, score second. But right now on this team, it's score first, defend second. And that's yeah. biting them in the ass. Well, that's everyone's mindset. The entire team is about yeah. creating, because there is a there is a ton of skilled offensive players on this team. And their, their mantra, when you watch them, is defensemen join, defensemen make this attack on offense, go, go, go. The problem is when they're on defense, they clearly have problems identifying danger, being in the right structural position, um, being hard to play against defensively. They're not. They're not hard to play against. Well, let me say this, Riffs. Were were you comfortable going down in the corner and cycling the puck and and, you know popping out for a one-timer in the slot or something like that when you played? No, because that was not my job description. I knew my role. Exactly. Okay. So not everyone is comfortable in that situation, right? Not everyone's comfortable taking the puck down down the wall and trying to make a play on a on a three on two or going in the corner and behind the net with the puck and making plays. Darlene is. Yeah. Power is. Yeah. Let them go. Let them roam and do whatever the, what they want. I guess. I guess my question to you is: This is my point, Roisy. So you asked me, Rivs. Hey, did you um when you played? Um, feel comfortable cycling the puck in the corners and this in the NHL. And the answer is, um, when I came out of junior, I was cons- I was touted as an offensive defenseman. I scored the most goals in the league in 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 one year. I had 19 goals and 74 points. I was an offensive guy. When I got to the NHL, I had to change my game. I was not going to be an offensive defenseman, so I changed my game and altered it. Didn't mean I was a defensive defenseman. I still put up years of 30-point season and multiple 20-point seasons. The point is I knew my job. My job was not to add offense. My job was to move the puck, be physical, defend well, leadership, that type of thing. And I just find that here in the Sabres, man, they're they're skilled. They're awesome. But like a guy like Matias Samuelson, who I find is jumping up in the play more and more, than I've ever seen before. He's never been a point producer in his entire life. Go back to his uh, DB page and look up at the way he played. He didn't have a ton of points in, in college. He didn't have a ton of points before that. He was a defending, hard-to-play-against defenseman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and take take pride in that, right? To, if that's I what mean, you do, if that's absolutely. what you do well, take pride in it. And so he does. So, like, like, I think being like right now, the, the Sabres are thinking, Oh, I I scored a goal tonight or whatever. I feel pretty good about myself, but you allow two against, as opposed to being like, I didn't allow a goal for the last 10 games when I've been on the ice kind of thing. And I take pride in that. And maybe I scored only five, but at the end of the day, I'm plus five in, in, in 10 games. You know what I mean? Like take pride in not getting scored against take pride in your power play. Take pride in scoring goals when you're out there to score goals, but also take pride in the fact that you're not getting scored against. Very much. How about... And listen, I mean, Colorado looked pretty fantastic. One thing that I noticed, especially in the first period, is how fast this team is, how fast they transition, how fast they forecheck, how fast they backchecked. I mean, everything that they did on the ice, it seemed like they were very skilled. They moved the puck so well, 
Like, I mean, a puck was not on a tape longer than two, two seconds and it was moved and it was constantly in the seems like the Sabres couldn't find their rhythm to get into the game. I, I just, I don't want to talk about the game anymore. Like I honestly, honest to God, I don't think it warrants this much time. It doesn't deserve this much time. They fucking sucked last night, period. End of story. It was embarrassing. How about the hit on Jeff Skinner? How about the that is one of the greatest players in the game today, absolutely burying a guy. And well, I why is he hitting then? <laughs> I know, I know. I spoke about him actually, you know, like a week ago. We were talking about Nate McKinnon and how he played defense, how he defends. Well, that was a Nate McKinnon on the back check. That was Jeff Skinner, one of our best offensive players, carrying the puck into the zone, okay? And that's a Nate McKinnon, one of the most skilled hockey players in the NHL, back check, defend, and not only defend, he's got red in his eyes. He is going to play the game the right way. And he made a really stiff, clean, hard body check. Um, And, you know, it just shows... Like that there, what do you think the guys in the bench are thinking? Yeah, they're jacked up. They're jacked up. Why though? Because you're like, Why are they jacked yeah. up? Is it just because a hit? Because I'm sure uh, players watch Josh Manson go and do the same thing. It's not quite, quite the same feeling. Like, why do you get jolted when you see Nate McKinnon do it? Shows you how much he wants to win. He's prepared to do what it takes. And it's not just about scoring goals. It's not just about. Um, he's setting a standard, assists. though. He's setting he's a setting, standard. He's setting a standard for what's acceptable by each and every player. It, I just don't see that on this team. Colorado has it from top to bottom. You don't have to put everyone through the boards. Like you say, what if you chip the puck in? You get it yourself. You win two battles. Take it to the net. Drive the net. Somebody trips you. You know, you get a power play. Your 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 uh, your whole bench is jacked up. Like, look at Roy, look at Royce. He's fucking going out there. He's working his yeah. balls off. Like taking pucks in the net. You know, maybe he took like a high stick in the face. He's bleeding. Like, you know, he's into the game. He's ready. He's 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 ready to go. And like, as opposed to you know just waiting for something to happen to spark your interest to get involved in the game, right? And I like think when that I puts when I on. if I were to say to you, Royce, you need to play tough. You need to play physical. You need to be hard to play against. What does that mean to you? I mean, start for me. It'd be starting with face-offs as a centerman. Like, oh, don't so don't let tough. somebody. Yeah, so, it's, it's not easy to win a face-off, especially I know against that. like big. But what strong I'm trying men. to say is, when you say the words "be tough," "be hard to play against," "be strong," "be physical," okay, "be gritty," "be nasty," people associate that with fighting. People associate that with being the tough guy. No, this is not what this league is out. It's not about fighting anymore. Okay, this is about being the hardest players every single shift where it's programmed in their minds that for you, you just said it right now and it, it, it proved my point. Your think your thoughts on being gritty, being hard, being nasty is winning every single solitary draw that you take. That's the first part of your shift, right? Mm, yeah, You want to be that guy. And then it just adds to puck battles in the corner. One-on-one puck battles in the NHL is the entire NHL. That's what it's all about. If you can win one-on-one puck battles, you're going to be super gritty and tough to play against. I would like to see the stats on whoever wins the most one-on-one puck battles 
um, which team comes out on top. And I would, I would probably say it's probably 90% the team that wins the most one-on-one puck battles that end up winning every game. Um, and it, it just, 100%. it's a mental, pre- it's a mental preparation going in the corner. Like we were talking about a couple weeks ago on the podcast, it's a mental preparation. If you're ready to go in the corner and win the battle, or are you ready to go in the corner and throw a stick check at it and then hope it, hope you, hope you get the puck. Right. Yeah. Do you oh. ever, have you ever watched the Benson kid? Have you watched him the last 10 games? What I like about him and he doesn't, he, he stops on the puck, right? He goes, he gets in a battle and he stops on it and he's battling for it. He does. He's not doing any flybys where he's, he's taking a stick and whacking it and seeing if he can get it. He's dedicated to that battle. Once he's in it, he's dedicated to the battle and he's dedicated to winning it. And he's right in there every time. And he's always in the battle, which, which he I love, took love. a hit last night from Manson. Yeah, and then he goes and he it, like, and I thought he was going to change. I was like, "Who took that hit right there?" And I'm like, "That guy's going to get up and go to the bench." And he stays. He goes down into the corner. I think if I'm recalling it correctly, but then he goes to the front of the net. That's the same shift he scored his goal. He is literally, I would say, if I were if I were to say, um, you were to take every single forward from both teams, I would probably put him at at one of the bottom two or three slowest players on the forward line. That's just the way it is. Like he's an 18 year old kid. He's still maturing, still growing. He's going to get much stronger, quicker. And I watch him, his hockey IQ and compete level is through the roof. It is absolutely insane. It's amazing. Like there was a puck that was shot on net last night. I I remember it was in the first period and he came in and kind of made a little swipe at the puck. The goaltender had his glove on it. You know, he made, he made a little swipe and what do they do? They swarm him. You know, they start pushing around the little kid and he's just sitting there in front of the net, taking a couple shots. And it's just like, it's almost like he enjoys it. It's almost like he enjoys getting into the battle and it's awesome to watch. Like it is truly amazing how he, at the age of 18, it is mind blowing to me how consistent he is in each and every one of his shifts. It's mind blowing. You can't teach that either. Right. That's, that's battle. Like, Look at well, the you Kachuk try. brothers. Yeah, you look at the try Kachuk, to, right? Look at the Kachuk brothers and look at like Marshawn. Like they need it. They need that like to get involved in the game. Like if you ever watch a game with Boston and 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 Marshawn, like nothing's going on in the game. It's zero zero. Like he's not into it yet. And then he just goes and just cross checks somebody because he and then he gets in front of the net and spears somebody. He does something stupid and gets punched in the face. And then all of a sudden you see him the next shift. He's going, he's finishing checks, he's going in front of that, and then he scores a goal. And you're like, he just needs he needs that to get involved in the game. He needs like a punch to the head, or he needs like to get involved in a battle just to get back into the game. And then some like the Kachuk brothers, same thing. You watch them play, like Brady Kachuk for Ottawa, man. He he needs it. He has to get the front of the net into the goalie's face, gets punched by the goalie. D-man comes in, and then you then you see him the next shift and he's buzzing. Some guys just need that. Yeah. Uh, last night, speaking of standard and greatness, Sidney Crosby scored two goals, his 16th and 17th of the season. Um, he has 31 points in 28 games, and that moved him into tied for 13th with Mark Recchi with 1,533 points. The next guy in front of him is Joe Thornton at number 12 with 1539, six points. So he'll pass him. Then Ray Bork is at 11 at 1579. He'll probably get there. 
And then Phil Esposito is number 10 at 1590. So he needs another 57 points to to 58 points to slide into top 10. Yeah. How how many more years do you think Sidney Crosby has? I was just going to I was just going to say that. How many more good years? Cuz you you think Sidney Crosby's going to play if he's not top two line, let's say he goes to a team, you know, let's say he's like 39 or something like that, or, you know, he's 41. Like, is he going to go play like Thornton, go to a team and play, you know, how Thornton went to Toronto and play a couple yeah. of years there or Marlowe or one of those guys. Do you think he's going to do that? Well, how or, long no, before he falls off in his game? So right now he's 36 years old. Okay. He's 36 years old. He's an August birthday. So he's 36 right now. He's he's got 17 goals in 28 games. Who's the leading goal scorer in the league right now? 21, 22, 21, 22, something like that. Matthews. No, 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 no. Brock Besser. Besser, Matthews at 21. Kucherov at 19. Yeah, Reinhardt, so they're tight. 17. Yeah, they're tight. Crosby 17. Yeah, I mean he's he's 28 games played. He has 17 goals, 31 points, and he's a plus 12. And this is, on a, team, Last year, this is on a team that's points. losing. This is a losing hockey team. This is not a team that's flourishing in the standings. They're kind of on the same page as the Sabres a little bit. They're ups and downs and all arounds. But the point is Sidney Crosby still plus 12. How is he still plus 12 if the team's losing? Because he plays the game the right way. Takes pride. Takes pride in defense. You play better defense, you have more time to play offense. That should be the underlying. Well, here's here's the question, Craig. What's his motivation? Is it another cup? Is it is it a, a, a place on the on the point total list? I mean, how high can he get up there? I mean, he's still producing. Let's go back the last few years. All the way to the to the year in 1920, COVID year, when he played 41 games, he had 47 points. The next year, he played 55 games. He had 62 points. The next year, he played 69 games. He had 84 points. Last year, he played 82 games, had 33 goals and 93 points. And this year, he's played 28 games and he has 31 points. So if he can remain a point-of-game player for the next two years, so say he gets 90 points this year, another 60 points, 82 and 82, I mean, that'll... That'll put him at sixteen twenty. If he gets sixty points this year, we'll put him put, put him, him in tenth. Put him at fifteen. Put him at fifteen ninety three. That puts him ten. I guess the question is, how many more games is he going to play? Yeah, as we were saying, how many more years? We think four or five. You think five is probably a stretch. He's 36, so he's got 37, 38, 39, and let's just say 40. Let's say he plays till he's 40 years old. Hmm. Uh, in those four years, not including this this year currently, you're probably looking at an average of 60, 60 points for those four years, would you think? 100, yeah. 200 and, yeah, 65 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. You're looking at 240 points on top of what Petey just said at 590. You're looking at so another put 200 close points. to Gordy Howe at 1850. 
Yeah. So at that point, I think the motivation probably would change. I think now it's still probably win Stanley Cups, I'm guessing, for him. Um, he's probably thinking, uh, you know, when you win something, you obviously want to do it again. So my theory is for him, he's probably trying to win cups. But uh, once it gets to that point where you're a couple points behind Gordy Howe, what do you think your motivation would be to play one more year to beat it? Right? You would think. Kind of yeah, like I think. Uh, I mean, if you get to 1,800 points, you that that puts you that puts you at f- the top five highest point producers in NHL history. And you're well, behind you this. Wayne Gretzky, Yager, Messier, and Gordie Howe. In a way different era, too. Like In a way different era. And he also, he had a ton well, of What was a harder era to score goals in and produce points? Well, man, there was guys in the 70s and 80s. and, and that Jamie Benn ben won their, the Art Ross with 87 points one year. I don't even Let's, know their names, and they had over 100 points. Never even heard of the guys. I think in the 2000s, it was way harder to get points. Yeah, really hard. Then, you know, 70s, 80s, uh, you know, like a crucified for this, but it was, it was, you look at the shots that went in sometimes and you're like, oh God, like that would yeah. never go well, in. The goaltending, the goaltending <laughs> to me but is a, just so superior a, in today's game. It's just, but also the, roof. the level of equipment and the level of technology and stuff. I get it. I know you had to play against Crosby. You were matched up against him a lot of times. Were you not? Well, I hated, I hated Crosby when I played against him. He's just—he's so—he was so good. He was so good, and then he at the start of his career, he's a little bit of a baby, which we used to give it to him a lot about it. Big time. But, he, but you could tell that he wanted to win the game. Like he had so much fire that he wanted to win every game. Uh, and and like I said, like I said before, it didn't matter what it took; he would go get it done. And he was tough to play against because he was a hard competitor. So you always try to give him the, the gears and and chirp him, and and hopefully he has a, an off game. Didn't you almost fight him one game? I honestly think we almost went like we almost fought and the refs jumped in. Yeah, like it was I, so close. Yeah, I, I think would, you're lucky. I think you're a pretty lucky strong guy. Then. I know. Yeah, I think he would have pumped guy. you. I'm oh, sorry, yeah. Royce. Oh, you've never seen Royce fight. Oh, come on. <laughs> Pull Royce up a couple like of junior clips. Damn, he throws the pistons, man. It is oh, hilarious. He? Oh, well, my yeah. first junior fight, I just I cut the guy open. You I... beat the fucking shit out of Nick Lees. It was the greatest thing ever because it was against my old team, Oshawa. We You pounded their first rounder. Yeah, we were both 16. Reg Boussier, Boussier had honestly the greatest goaltending performance I have ever seen in a game single-handedly, and we won the game 2-0. Yeah, I remember that game. You set me up for you set me up for a play. I should have scored. Oh my god. You gave me a backhand sauce in the slot and I went in on a mini breakaway. I didn't even think the puck was coming to me. And the next thing you know, I had the puck on my stick. I was like, fuck. I blame the cast on my hand for that one. I remember being uh, you know, you're in your first fight. I remember the guy swinging his stick and like hit me in the head or what. I'm like, what are you doing, man? And he's like, You want to go? And I'm like, Whoa, what's happening? <laughs> what's going? My gloves are usually glued on. So then I, <laughs> they got off and then I just started chucking. I didn't even like, I barely looked and I was just throwing as hard as I could. And I caught him with a few and he went down. You know, it was a, it was a good moment. How about the tribute last night for uh, Eric Johnson? That was pretty special. That was unbelievable. Pretty special. Yeah. Did you get that same return in Montreal? Rev? Yeah. Yeah, I did. 
I was listen. I mean, he played. Uh, I think he played seven hundred and one games for Colorado. You know, that's his home. Um, they were saying on the broadcast last night that you know he slept in his own bed. That's where he's going to re- retire when he when he's uh, you know moved on from the game. He's had an awesome career. He's he's had a really really great career. Um, won the ultimate prize with uh, with uh, the Colorado Avalanche. So it's so special when you build that bond. So you could see the the love that the players on the team, um, Langdeskog, um, who is not playing obviously because of the knee injuries and, and the issues that he had. He's down by the glass with his kids and his wife to pay tribute to you know um, Eric Johnson. So I thought it was pretty special. It's awesome. Um, you know, congratulations to him. It's pretty awesome. Do you have any returns like that, Rosie? Did you did you get a welcome back with uh, for in Buffalo? No, no, I did not. Really? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, was it nine nine years here or something like that with the uh, lockout? Nope, didn't get anything did, coming I, back. Were you here when Pominville came back? Still, were you still here when he? Or were you already gone? No, so I was. I think I would have been the first to go from that core group of uh, me, Eric Palmville, Vanek, Miller, myself, kind of thing. That, that was, Where'd you go? Uh, I went to Dallas during the lockout. Oh, that's right. I I wasn't even I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't thinking about it either. So it didn't really. Matter. But then somebody was like, "Oh, hey, they're gonna do a tribute for you," and I'm like, "Uh, I don't know. Like, I never got traded before in my life, so no idea." And then uh, when when there was nothing, guys were like, I guess they didn't like you as much in Buffalo. So, did oh. you get booed? No, I don't okay. believe I got booed. No, because when I went well, to it was San my, Jose, it was my, I, I got traded. I didn't freaking, I didn't want to trade. I got traded. So yeah, not my fault. Yeah, but was it the right time for you you to be traded? Was it was it? Uh, do you think it was um, a, a good move for you? Uh, or did you want to stay here? I wanted to stay here. I even said I wanted to stay here. And they're like, okay, sounds good. You're traded. <laughs> so <laughs> I can't. Uh, uh, it, was, it was just like at the end of the year, there was a couple like uh, things floating around. And I just wanted to make sure that they they heard clear. I was like, hey, listen, I want to stay here. I want to win a cup with the with the Sabres. This is what I've been. My whole goal was to do this. And, uh, you know, I want to be around here next year to do it. And, and I'm going to have a good summer of training. And that was a year that my shoulder, like I had shoulder problems and came out a bunch of times. And and then I was like, I'm going to get back to, you know, my level of play and, and I'll be back next year. And they were like, okay, sounds good. And maybe a month later I got traded. So, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, it's, you know, they thought it was better for the team for them. And, and I wanted to stay and, and then once I got traded, I was like, this is weird. I don't know what's, what's going on, but I'll yeah. figure it out. And Dallas was great. Dallas was a great spot. And then and Joe Noondyke was GM there and everything was, uh, they're were, they were really good about it. So yeah, those, uh, those are interesting times getting traded and then flipping your whole life around. And Dallas, Exciting though, too. Right? Exciting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's both. Yeah. It's both. You're, you're sad because man, you've been, that's all, you know, I've, all I've known was Rochester and Buffalo, the whole organization for like 10 years and then you go and now you're going to a different organization you know nobody you might know one or two guys on the team or something like that and that's it i would have liked to have played in dallas that wouldn't have been a terrible place to play i thought dallas was great great spot great fans like it was was always one of my it was always one of my favorite places to play they had a great restaurant there that i that i frequented 
every time that I went to Dallas. Uh, I just enjoyed the arena. I enjoyed the, um, I guess the cleanliness of, of the downtown area. Do you remember that? Like how clean it was around the rink and the rink was such a beautiful rink. Um, the weather, the weather was, the weather was always fantastic where you're, you know, you're taking off your winter jacket and your, your, your boots and you're putting on a nice suit. And, uh, I always enjoyed playing in Dallas because they had a good fan base too. They, you know, they, they've, they've been very uh, competitive for, for many years, but um, they always had great crowds there. It was always a lot of fun to, to play Dallas. So do you, do you remember a rookie dinner in Dallas, Rosie? Oh yeah. It was, it was at a place called Nick and Sam's. Yep. Yep. Every guy ordered the Wagyu. The Kobe, it was a filet. It was a Wagyu filet and it was $32 an ounce minimum 10 ounces. That was so. It was ten ounces or twelve ounces. So you're either paying three hundred and twenty dollars for this steak, or you're paying three hundred and eighty-four dollars. And I think every guy on the team ordered the twelve ounce uh, Kobe fillet. I remember if, when we played. Dallas. How good was it, though? How like how good was it? I don't. I have no recollection of how. You know good what? It's <laughs> so it, it's so rich. Like you can't eat that. Like five ounces is more than enough when you're eating Wagyu. It's so rich. It, it's flavorful. It t- it's like fatty and juicy and absolutely delicious. But like, you know, when you eat too much sugar, how your stomach gets like, it's just like just too much or whatever. When you're like yeah. a kid, like it's the same feeling when you eat too much. You can't you get once you get over that threshold of like, you're like, oh, it's too much. I can't do it. So, so, um, so how does that compare to? Uh, the the rookie party we had in Phoenix. Do you remember that one? Where oh, they yeah, brought yeah. out they brought out literally dinosaur bones with meat on it. <laughs> it was like, like I have tomahawks. Never, yeah, yeah, the tomahawk. I've never seen anything like it in all of the years I've eaten at all these restaurants over the years. That was the first time that I was just dumbfounded looking at what they had just brought out for every player on the team. Was yeah, that Rosie, Ocean, Ocean yeah. Prime? Was that you Ocean Prime? Prime? You, you, uh, Did you set pl- that up? Plan that one. That was yours, think, Ocean yeah, Prime. Yeah, and then we went, went to like uh, Voodoo Lounge or something like that, like uh, like a nightclub or something with all the guys. <laughs> that was like when it was 30 minutes away, right? Like we had to go back to the resort. And then, so what happened was, Apparently the guy, you know, the guy, like when, when he drops the bus off and then he goes back to the place to drop it off, he cleans up all the alleys and, and looks to see, and I guess Max, was it Max that was passed out in the back? He was passed out on the floor. And then he's like, are you kidding me? So yeah, imagine that. Imagine finding a guy sleeping at like five in the morning in the back of the thing. And you got to drive him all the way back to the hotel. Oh, and drop that's him off. right. Oh my Lord. <laughs> Oh, so hilarious. Max was supposed to get off the bus. Yeah, he must have just he passed, passed out, out and, on the bus. Yeah. So when the guy took the bus back to his shop or whatever, when he went to kind of clean through the bus, he realized there's someone back there <laughs> and had to drive another 30 <laughs> minutes back to our hotel. Oh, that man. was unbelievable. <sighs> That's hilarious. Here's the thing. It was an awesome ride going there, which I remember. I don't remember going home at all. Because we had a good time. That was that was a really fun time. Because I wasn't on the bus. (laughs) Yeah, that was probably part. (laughs) 
I know why I missed the bus. I just, <clears throat> I saw you guys pulling out. Oh man. Oh, we had a good time. That was a, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. Roisy, good stuff, man. That'll do it for after the whistle presented by Seneca Buffalo Creek casino. Nothing else comes close. Thank you for listening.